With conflict raging between Ukraine and Russia, the role of NATO and member states' commitments have become top of mind for many. One key issue is getting countries to meet defense spending targets, and one country missing the mark is Canada. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post politics reporter Catherine Levesque joins me to discuss why Canada is falling short of its targets, why this is a problem that has plagued successive governments, and why there's pressure now to step up spending. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So, Catherine, there's been a lot of discussion around NATO and Canada's role within NATO uh, in the last couple of weeks. But before we get into that, for those who don't know or may not be familiar with the organization, what is NATO How long has it been around and how many countries are part of it? Great question. Well, NATO is short for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So it was actually founded uh, in 1949, shortly after the end of the uh, Second World War. And uh, it is a growing group. So now we're at 31 countries from Europe and North America. The latest member is, of course, Finland. And soon we'll be adding Sweden, actually, in uh, among the NATO allies. So there will be soon be 32 countries officially. And Canada, of course, is part of NATO. Um, and uh, well, what does it do? I mean, basically, NATO exists to protect the people and territories of its members. So that means that if one NATO ally is attacked, then all NATO allies are attacked and will pitch in to defend the member. So it's, uh, yeah, very simple, uh, you know, goal, I guess, of uh, of this organization. And uh, basically, they uh, they really protect you know, if one person is attacked, well, then all countries are attacked. And and given the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine, and I know Ukraine is not a member, though there's been a lot of talk lately about giving Ukraine membership in NATO as soon as possible. What is the importance of NATO as, as an organization? Why has there been maybe a little more discussion around the role NATO plays and, you know, Canada's role in it and how we stick up for one another? Well, I mean, you're, you're right to point out that, yes, Ukraine is not a part of NATO. Um, and I, I would just say because there was a NATO summit last week, while Ukraine was actually trying to get all the allies to offer some sort of a clear timeline and and a clear path towards membership. Well, that didn't happen exactly. And the allies instead offered a vague promise of, you know, one day extending an invitation for Ukraine to join NATO, but when conditions are met. Um, I, I think the reality is that if Ukraine were to join NATO tomorrow morning, then all countries that are part of NATO, including Canada, would be at war with Russia. And a lot of allies don't want this to escalate into World War III. So to your question, um, NATO not only defends its members, but also engages in situations like the one with Ukraine to try to manage the crisis, obviously, uh, you know, support Ukraine in, in this war, and uh, but also support reconstruction when this will be over. Um, so the members in NATO are very much engaged in, in supporting Ukraine against Russia, are pushing for more military spending and more defense preparation because we never know this could escalate into a bigger conflict or there could be, you know, some future conflicts that really involve NATO. So, of course, the goal here is to if it's for everyone to be prepared um, in case of a, uh, of a bigger war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to the responsibilities that member nations have, you mentioned that you know, if one country is attacked, it's kind of an attack on all of NATO. But when it comes to 
kind of the minutia of it, you know, are there other responsibilities that NATO member nations have, whether it's policy or defense spending? What's what's the role that each country has to play here? Well, just on the, you know, if, if one NATO ally is attacked, then all NATO allies are attacked. I, I mean, I'll give a clear example, right? There, there were rumblings early in the war um, about Russian missiles found in Poland. Um, so that created a lot of concern because Poland, as we know, is, is, is a, NATO, a NATO member. Therefore, all of NATO would have been forced to respond to this. But it, it really became clear after some investigations that this missile was, in fact, not launched by Russia and was in fact, probably launched by Ukraine by mistake. So a crisis was averted. But um, I, I think this really illustrates the fine line here before between a war ranging right now between two countries and a world war, you know, once a NATO ally is attacked. Uh, but um, when it comes to defense spending, I think it's very clear. It was agreed upon in 2014 that NATO allies should, in fact, have a plan to reach 2% of their GDP um, in terms of military spending. So that was a goal. Um, you know, everyone had to get to that goal within 10 years. That means that by 2024. Uh, but just last week, I mean, NATO actually pushed this timeline ahead and, and said, well, agreed that this 2% tr threshold should be a minimum. Um so like I said, again, NATO really serves to push all of its allies to be ready, to be prepared in case of a conflict. Um, but, uh, you know, as I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking a lot about, it's not easy to get everyone in check. And Canada certainly is, uh, you know, very far from this 2% target. Well, yeah, that leads into my next question. When it comes to military spending, you know, Canadians, I, I feel like they have a sense that we have a, a military ready to defend its country. We have a strong military tradition in Canada. But how do we compare when you stack us up against our NATO allies? And just overall, what are we spending on defense in relation to that 2% target? Well, in relation to that target, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, as of this year, only 11 NATO members out of the 31 were reaching that 2% benchmark, right? So not everyone is there yet. And, and many others uh, like France, like Croatia are not very far behind that 2% threshold. Uh, Canada is actually lagging far behind. <laughs> Depending on the estimates for this year, we're around 1.3 or 1.4%. And uh, we're just in front of uh, countries like Slovenia, like Spain, like Turkey. Um, so really, we're really lagging behind in terms of this percentage. Um, in comparison, uh, the United States, obviously very, you know, one of the top ones uh, is spending 3.5% of its GDP on defense spending. Uh, the United States, as we know, has the, big, big, the biggest military in the world. Um, but I, I would also just note and you know, just for context, that this 2% benchmark has been criticized because really it's relative to the strength of your economy, right? So if you have a much smaller economy, like let's take Poland, like for example, right? Because they, according to the NATO, NATO members, Poland is the country that spends the most. Uh, that would be 3.9% actually, uh, so double the NATO target. But their economy is a lot smaller. So, you know, they're, they're spending a lot 
obviously in defense, but relative to, to their GDP, uh, that just makes them, you know, the top contributor according to NATO. But in terms of numbers, uh, look, Canada has a much bigger economy than Poland, and uh, we are spending certainly billions and billions of dollars in defense spending. But relative to our economy, uh, that just kind of makes us trailing behind. But certainly, it's it's a cause for a lot of concern among our allies. Certainly, the United States are very concerned that we are not meeting our 2% threshold. I think it was made abundantly clear when Donald Trump was president and was kind of asking for everyone's numbers and contributions in NATO. And uh, we're certainly a lot in, under a lot of pressure to reach at least that 2% threshold, but it's, it's really not easy to, to achieve in our case. We'll be right back. Now, when it comes to military spending, the 2% number I think might be I guess a little hard to decipher for a lot of Canadians. How much do we spend like dollar wise currently on our military or on defense spending and how much more would we need to spend to hit that benchmark? That, that's a good question. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to determine exactly what we spend every year because there's a lot of projections and then those projections aren't necessarily met, right? So, you know, sometimes we kind of budget some some money and say, well, Look, we're, we plan on spending, you know, this amount of billions of dollars for procurement, right? But this doesn't end up happening and we kind of, you know, punt it back to another year. Um, but, you know, I, we, I would say uh, between 30 and, and $40 billion per year, uh, this is what we spend on on defense spending. So that that is a lot of money. To get to 2%, I mean, that means a lot more billions, right? So the analysis was made uh, by the parliamentary budget officer just last year, and he estimated that actually if we were to hit that 2% benchmark, we would have to spend an additional between 13 and 18 billion more per year. Um, so basically, that's, yeah, of course, a, a lot of money. Um, and it's not because you spend a lot of money or you project a lot of money, uh, you inject a lot more money in the military that they're going to spend it. And that is, it is going to be useful for them at the moment. Um, you know, I, I, I can get into this you know, as in our conversation, but essentially we really have a problem uh, in the military right now to really launch some big procurement projects. Uh, we have, you know, we, we don't have the personnel right now, the military personnel to actually use up all of this money. So we just have a lot of ongoing problems with our military that even if tomorrow morning we were to spend, let's say, an extra 18 billion more in, in defense spending, I mean, we... Quite frankly, the department would not know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I was going to ask, like, what, what is keeping us from from meeting this target or for making these increases to, uh, I guess, calm the fears of some of our allies that we're not pulling our weight in NATO? Um, it's not just a matter of fiscal policy, I take it, or or is it a, a bit of fiscal policy and and a bit of the state of our military that we just couldn't handle that kind of increase? What, what's at play here in keeping us from meeting that 2% target? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a bit of both, right? Because right now, even though uh, deficits have, haven't really been, um, you know, a very big concern for the liberal government until now, I mean, there, there really is a sense, uh, certainly from uh, Finance Minister Christian Freeland, that she wants to be a little bit more careful in terms of spending. So, um, look, I mean, 
and and she she's not the only one, right? Defense is a discretionary spending. So governments, successive governments, whether they, they were liberal or conservative over the years have decided to kind of slow down defense spending just because Frankly, it's it's not a political cost to them if they slow down that that spending to kind of let's say return back to a balanced budget. Uh, certainly, that was the case uh, under Jean Chrétien in, in the late nineties. Um, but you know that that kind of changed with the war in Afghanistan. We we kind of like peaked a little because we had to uh, basically spend a lot of money and, and kind of reequip our military to uh, to be able to participate in that mission. Um, but after even in the Harper years, that also slowed down and that went back to less than 1% of our GDP in terms of military spending. Um, and, and that's because uh, Stephen Harper wanted to go back to a balanced budget in time for the 2015 election. So look, I mean, there are certainly, there, there are waves like this where we spend a little bit more. Um, certainly right now we're under a lot of pressure because of the war in Ukraine, because of, you know, just our, our all our challenges um, with Russia and, you know, because we want to protect our Arctic. So I think, you know, we are going progressively towards that 2% right now. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, we are also, you know, on the liberals part, a little bit concerned with fiscal policy and don't want to, you know, go too far in that direction as of right now. So uh, look, it's, it's a little bit of everything, like I said, it's very hard to spend a lot of money to inject a lot of money in the military as things are right now. Um, you know, they're, they're lacking of everything, including personnel, including, I mean, ships, <laughs> planes, everything right now. Um, the liberals are trying to to spend, but it's, it's a very lengthy process. It's a very complicated process to get anything to work. Um, but at the same time, I think they, in the long term, they're trying to get to that 2%. But as Justin Trudeau said uh, to the, it's his allies... Um, privately, and it was afterwards leaked. Canada has no plans to uh, to go to two percent, and certainly in the short term. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I can't imagine the the leak of that was uh, was favorable among among the Trudeau government. <laughs> um, I, I, looking at some of the challenges, and I do want to put some of this in perspective because, as you said, it, you know, it goes through successive governments where there's maybe not as big a focus on military spending unless we run into times of war as we did with the conflict in Afghanistan when we had to ramp up defense spending in the wake of 9-11. But you talked with former Defense Minister Peter McKay, and how did he break down the challenges that his government faced during his time as as defense minister, mm-hmm. so so is it interesting, right? Because Peter McKay was a defense minister for about six years. Um, certainly, he kind of saw all, all the changes uh, that went on in his uh, former department. And um, l- like you said, I mean, the Harper government came into power just as Canada was asked to participate in Afghanistan. So certainly, it, it provided an opportunity to spend a lot more. On defense, um, what what I think was interesting is that at that time, I mean, we we didn't spend, we we didn't go into the more costly things, right? And like like ships, like jets. We instead spent a lot of money on on tanks, for instance. Um, so it, what Peter McKay was saying is that look, I mean, obviously there this was an opportunity. Afghanistan was an opportunity to spend a lot more to try to achieve and eventually get to that two percent. But what he also said is that, look, there was the recession, right? And in 2008, there was a financial crisis. Um, so that obviously had a big effect on the Harper government. Um, 
it had an effect in terms of our GDP kind of, you know, contracting and becoming a little bit smaller, which gives the impression that we actually spent more in terms of defense in twenty um, in 2009, uh, just because, yes, we were spending a little bit more because of the war in Afghanistan, but also our economy was getting a little bit smaller. So, you know, that that calculus that I was telling you about, right, on in, in terms of this all, doesn't always reflect reality. Well, that that's an example of that. But afterwards, I mean, what we saw when, when we look at, let's say, statistics on defense spending in terms in Canada is that progressively went down to less than 1% in, as of 2013 and, and 2014. So that is a historic low. Um, and uh, Peter McKay, frankly, had some, some regrets about that. He said, look, I, I, I would have liked for the F-35s, for instance, you know, to to go ahead, right? <laughs> this caused a lot of turmoil, certainly when he was defense minister. Um, and the Trudeau government, you know, kind of punted it down, said they wouldn't go ahead with the F-35s before last year, kind of going ahead with, with the contract. Um, but he said, uh, you know, so, so there was, of course, the recession. There was, um, but he also said, look, there just the procurement process is so complicated. We have all these departments that are basically have competing goals and that, you know, want the contracts to be signed in a certain way. And it, it just kind of takes years and years to accomplish things. Um, so he was giving the example of uh, Industry Canada, which is now innovation. You know, they, they want, for instance, defense contracts to be, you know, they want Canadian content, Canadian material um, to be included in that. Um, he was talking about public works, wanting the contracts to be impeccable and peachable. And, you know, that's not always the case in terms of, you know, big uh, military procurement. And uh, then you have national defense, which, you know, wanted that material yesterday, right? So, I mean, we have all these competing goals with all these departments. And in the end, sometimes, yes, you can inject money, you can estimate some money in, in defense, but in the end, that is not what is being spent at the end of the year. And you kind of basically send the money back to the treasury board. Um, so he thought it was extremely complicated. And, you know, he said, look, we tried to get to 2%. That was certainly our goal. But in the end, it was way too complicated. And um, by the end of the Harper uh, government, well, the goal was really to get back to deficit zero, right? So that is what happened. And um, certainly defense was uh, maybe not a priority by, by the end of that. Yeah. And, and so, that brings us to the Trudeau government, and I think there'd be many people who would criticize the prime minister and his cabinet for maybe dropping the ball on international relations compared to the Harper government, um, and this notion that Trudeau is saying privately to our allies that we're we're not going to meet our our two percent target would be seen as a black eye for the government, but also a great opportunity for the conservatives to step up and say this is ridiculous. We're going to meet our 2% target. We owe it to our allies. This would be an opportunity for them. But when it comes to the conser current conservative party leader, would things look different under a Pierre Poilievre of government should they win the next election? I'm not so sure. And, and that's why I wanted to write about that and kind of explore this, right? Because um, the conservatives haven't, for sure, they've been criticizing the government and, you know, kind of trying to get them to get to 2%, but they've, they themselves aren't ready to commit to that. They said, we should aim to attain that 2% 
eventually, right? So it's it's a little wishy-washy. They're they're not committing to, you know, inject billions and billions of dollars and in, in, in extra money right away if they were to form government. And I remember distinctly, um, so Pierre Polyev just last year in, in a leadership debate, right? He wasn't the leader of the party yet. He was asked directly in, in one of the official debates um, during the race, well, would you know if you were leader, would you go to two percent? And he said no. That this would cost a lot of money. You know, not right away. Obviously, we would aim towards that two percent. But uh, you know, he did recognize, according to the PBO's numbers, that this would mean a lot of extra money. And as we know, Pierre Polyev is very, very committed to, um, you know, reducing the deficit and uh, you know. Re- refraining all, all the spending right now, and he's been very critical of of all the, the liberal spending certainly throughout the years. Um, so he's really in the same school of thought as, as Stephen Harper on that point. And so, look, if he were to form government tomorrow morning, I'm not sure there would be a dramatic change on that front. Um, I think he's been very concerned with with inflation, with cost of living, and uh, he hasn't been talking that much about defense. So, uh, you know. It's a little bit different than than Aaron O'Toole, who, uh, as we we know, were uh, was very concerned with uh, international relations, with defense, and he, you know, as as a former uh, military member, certainly he had a lot of ideas on that front. But uh, we really feel, and, and experts, frankly, feel that this is not. Uh, necessarily a priority for Pierre Polyev. And quite frankly, uh, his office would not answer any questions on the subject or try to clarify their position. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's safe to assume that they, things wouldn't necessarily change under Pierre Polyev as prime minister tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know with the conflict in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia happening right now, defense is on a lot of Canadians' minds. So I appreciate you taking the time to break down some of these numbers for us. Catherine, thanks for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks. 10.3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Catherine Levesque. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.